The following is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. This reading is by the soon-to-be world-famous Vinnie Bove. Visit Vinnie at www.boveart.com. And now, on with the show. Chapter 18. The Wonders of Terrestrial Depths At eight in the morning, a ray of daylight came to wake us up. The thousand shining surfaces of lava on the walls received it on its passage and scattered it like a shower of sparks. There was light enough to distinguish surrounding objects. "'Well, Axel, what do you say to it?' cried my uncle, rubbing his hands. "'Did you ever spend a quieter night in our little house at Konigsberg? No noise of cartwheels, no cries of basket women, no boatmen shouting?' No doubt it is very quiet at the bottom of this well, but there is something alarming in the quietness itself. Now come, my uncle cried. If you are frightened already, what will you be by and by? We have not gone a single inch yet into the bowels of the earth. What do you mean? I mean that we have only reached the level of the island. This long vertical tube, which terminates at the mouth of the crater, has its lower end only at the level of the sea. Are you sure of that? Quite sure. "'Consult your barometer.' "'In fact, the mercury, which had risen in the instrument as fast as we had descended, "'had stopped at twenty-nine inches. "'You see,' said the professor, "'we have only now the pressure of our atmosphere. "'And I shall be glad when the aneroid takes the place of the barometer.' "'And in truth this instrument would become useless "'as soon as the weight of the atmosphere should exceed the pressure "'ascertained at the level of the sea. "'But,' I said, is there not reason to fear that this ever-increasing pressure will become at last very painful to bear? No. We shall descend at a slow rate, and our lungs will become inured to a denser atmosphere. Aeronauts find the want of air as they rise to higher elevations, but we shall perhaps have too much. Of the two, this is what I would prefer. Don't let us lose a moment. Where's the bundle we sent down before us? I then remembered that we had searched for it in vain the evening before. My uncle questioned Hans, who, after having examined attentively with the eye of a huntsman, replied, Der Hoop, up there. And so it was. The bundle had been caught by a projection a hundred feet above us. Immediately the Icelander climbed up like a cat, and in a few minutes the package was in our possession. Now, said my uncle, let us breakfast. But we must lay in a good stock, for we don't know how long we may have to go on. The biscuit and extract of meat were washed down with a draught of water mingled with a little gin. Breakfast over, my uncle drew from his pocket a small notebook intended for scientific observations. He consulted his instruments and recorded, Monday, July 1, chronometer, 8.17 a.m., barometer, 297 inches, thermometer, 6 degrees, 43 degrees Fahrenheit, direction, east-southeast. This last observation applied to the dark gallery, and was indicated by the compass. "'Now, Axel,' cried the professor with enthusiasm, "'now we are really going into the interior of the earth. At this precise moment the journey commences.' So saying, my uncle took in one hand Ruhmkorff's apparatus, which was hanging from his neck, and with the other he formed an electric communication with the coil and the lantern, and a sufficiently bright light dispersed the darkness of the passage.' Hans carried the other apparatus, which was also put into action. 
This ingenious application of electricity would enable us to go on for a long time by creating an artificial light even in the midst of the most inflammable gases. Now march! cried my uncle. Each shouldered his package. Hans drove before him the load of cords and clothes, and myself, walking fast, we entered the gallery. At the moment of becoming engulfed in this dark gallery, I raised my head and saw for the last time through the length of that vast tube the sky of Iceland, which I was never to behold again. The lava in the last eruption of 1229 had forced a passage through this tunnel. It still lined the walls with a thick and glistening coat. The electric light was here intensified a hundredfold by reflection. The only difficulty in proceeding lay in not sliding too fast down an incline of about forty-five degrees. Happily, certain asperities and a few blisterings here and there formed steps, and we descended, letting our baggage slip before us from the end of a long rope. But that which formed steps under our feet became stalactites overhead. The lava, which was porous in many places, had formed a surface covered with small rounded blisters, crystals of opaque quartz set with limpid tiers of glass, and hanging like clustered chandeliers from the vaulted roof, seemed as if it were to kindle and form a sudden illumination as we passed on our way. It seemed as if the genii of the depths were lighting up their palace to receive their terrestrial guests. "'It is magnificent!' I cried spontaneously. "'My uncle, what a sight! Don't you admire those blending hues of lava, passing from reddish-brown to bright yellow by imperceptible shades? And these crystals are just like globes of light!' "'Ali, you think so, do you, Axel, my boy?' Well, you will see greater splendors than these, I hope. Now, let us march. March! He had better have said slide, for we did nothing but drop down the steep inclines. It was the Fasif's Descensus Averni of Virgil. The compass, which I consulted frequently, gave our direction as southeast with inflexible steadiness. This lava stream deviated neither to the right nor to the left. Yet there was no sensible increase of temperature. This justified Davy's theory and more than once I consulted the thermometer with surprise. Two hours after our departure it only marked ten degrees, fifty degrees Fahrenheit, an increase of only four degrees. This gave reason for believing that our descent was more horizontal than vertical. As for the exact depth reached, it was very easy to ascertain that. The professor measured accurately the angles of deviation and inclination on the road, but he kept the results to himself. About eight in the evening he signaled to stop. Hans sat down at once. The lamps were hung upon a projection in the lava. We were in a sort of cavern where there was plenty of air. Certain puffs of air reached us. What atmospheric disturbance was the cause of them? I could not answer that question at the moment. Hunger and fatigue made me incapable of reasoning. A descent of seven hours consecutively is not made without considerable expenditure of strength. I was exhausted. The order to halt, therefore, gave me pleasure. Hans laid our provisions upon a block of lava, and we ate with a good appetite. But one thing troubled me. Our supply of water was half consumed. My uncle reckoned upon a fresh supply from subterranean sources, but hitherto we had met with none. I could not help drawing his attention to the circumstance. "'Are you surprised at this vaunt of springs?' he said. "'More than that, I am anxious about it. We have only water enough for five days.' Don't be uneasy, Axel. We shall find more than we want. When? When we have left this bed of lava behind us. How could springs break through such walls as these? 
but perhaps this passage runs to a very great depth. It seems to me that we have made no great progress vertically. Why do you suppose that? Because if we had gone deep into the crust of the earth, we should have encountered greater heat. According to your system, said my uncle, but what does the thermometer say? Hardly fifteen degrees, fifty-nine degrees Fahrenheit, nine degrees only since our departure. Well, what is your conclusion? This is my conclusion. According to exact observations, the increase of temperature in the interior of the globe advances at the rate of one degree, one four-fifth degree Fahrenheit, for every hundred feet, but certain local conditions may modify this rate. Thus, at Yakutsk in Siberia, the increase of a degree is ascertained to be reached every 36 feet. This difference depends upon the heat-conducting power of the rocks. Moreover, in the neighborhood of an extinct volcano, through Gneiss, it has been observed that the increase of a degree is only attained at every 125 feet. Let us therefore assume this last hypothesis as the most suitable to our situation, and calculate. Well, do calculate, my boy. Nothing is easier, said I, putting down figures in my notebook. Nine times 125 feet gives a depth of 1125 feet. Very accurate indeed. Well, by my observation, we are at 10,000 feet below the level of the sea. <laughs> is that possible? Yes, all figures are of no use. The professor's calculations were quite correct. We had already attained a depth of 6,000 feet beyond that hitherto reached by the foot of man, such as the mines of Kitzbahl and Tyrol and those of Wattenberg in Bohemia. The temperature, which ought to have been 81 degrees, 178 degrees Fahrenheit, was scarcely 15 degrees, 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Here was cause for reflection. End of chapter 18